0: What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today we have an epic show lined up. We are doing a virtual influencers. I have Luke Pappas on the line from NEA. Uh, What up, Luke? Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, You've been on the show before. You are a uh, VC at NEA, always looking at sort of the future of technology ahead of the curve, you know, really with your ear to the ground on the startup ecosystem. And uh, we were sort of jamming on this idea of virtual influencers like Lil Michaela. I made a video about that. And just this idea that a personal brand could be bigger than like a corporate brand sort of in the future. And that's an area where you're spending a lot of time. Um, So I'm really excited to dive into this topic today. Um, Maybe you could give us a little bit of background of what fascinated you about what's happening in the virtual influencer space? And how did you, this this get on your radar?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I can tell you, uh, this is a huge thesis for us at NEA. We look at a few things. First of all, you think about the kind of the fundamental platforms that exist, uh, you know, across social media, digital media, names like Facebook, names like Netflix, um, you know, apps like YouTube, Instagram, these channels of distribution have existed for um, for decades now. And if you look at the follow the followership and the ease of getting content out to an audience, it's never been easier. Uh, and so for us, like, you know, being early stage investors, we're looking at all these different technology companies and thinking about what is the next generation um, of business model. And it's tough if you're a startup trying to build a new platform to compete with uh, with these, you know, entrenched tech companies that have hundreds of, um, you know, millions of followers in, in some cases. Uh, and audiences. And so for us, we're thinking about these kind of additional, how do you build on top of these existing platforms and what are the next business models that take advantage of, the, of these layers And and a huge opportunity that we see is, as you put it, you know, digital influencer space. And
0: I think that's an amazing kind of thesis because that's something I built my entire company and business around hyperchange. Like, yes, we're monetizing just with YouTube ads, probably really underpriced right now and Patreon, but I have an Instagram account. I have a Twitter account. I'm on Spotify. I'm not monetizing the podcast version of my content. So when I think about setting up like a brand, like I'm just trying to maximize distribution. And like you said, like Netflix, all these platforms we mentioned to me are just such early in the infancy of allowing the monetization and like kind of power of the distribution so i feel like it, it's still so so early in those days um and one of the really interesting you mentioned like new business models coming up and one uh i know that you're an investor and that's kind of a controversial but really funny one to me is goop um because i always heard of goop and was like what is this like i'm in new york i live in soho my friends are like we're always walking around the goop store like making jokes about it um, but then i saw the netflix show goop and i was like wow this is actually like You know, I was hating on it, but it's like interesting. Like, I don't know, I'm not a Goop fan, but this is a fascinating business case study that you've been kind of on the front lines with that fits exactly in this thesis. So, I'm curious if you could like fill us in on a little bit on the Goop uh, story and background.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, Goop, as you mentioned, very polarizing brand, Uh, and I think you hit on this. It's it's polarizing because those that don't understand really the ethos of the company, it, it seems like you you've got this brand that's pushing products, and some of the products are definitely out there and um, uh, attention grabbers for sure. For us, like Goop is really fits in the, the thesis of content-driven commerce. Um, and what really matters, and I think the more you dig into the company, you'll realize this, is it's authentic content. Um, you know, the company was born uh, around Gwyneth Paltrow's newsletter that she would share with, really it began with her friends. Like she, she had a, a few recipes that she was, around the holiday season, she was sharing with friends about different, dishes she was cooking. Um and just through the like honestly the viral network of content friends shared with other friends and the newsletter grew and grew and grew and you had this authentic community that was really just seeking out um different ideas around food, around fashion, around lifestyle. Um, and so we uh had we were fortunate to partner with Gwyneth really at the earliest days uh and and put a business around her newsletter and that's grown into what you what you see today in Goop. But What I think is really unique and we're seeing this more and more kind of in the modern day commerce model is this idea of content driven commerce and, and Goop is a pioneer in this where you're not necessarily thinking about, okay, what product am I going to sell? You're thinking about the content piece first. And with Goop, it's all about education. You know, the part of the, the mission of the company is experimenting and trying out things that other people maybe don't have the financial flexibility to try, or maybe the, um, uh adventurousness to go and try like goop's mission is we'll go and try this out and we'll share the learnings with you and if we believe in a product and we realize a benefit from it we're going to tell you about that that's going to be our content and then you can engage in that content and then we'll also you know there's a secondary piece which is the commerce piece but it's all driven by content by exploration by learning and i think you hit on that when you watched the uh the netflix special um that really comes to the forefront and and so for us, it's an exciting, I mean, that was kind of an early investment for us in our consumer portfolio. And now, as we think about content driven commerce, and you know, we're, we're on our 17th fund at NEA, uh, consumer investing is a big priority for us. And this idea of content driven commerce is really one of our leading theses.
0: And I'm curious, like, you know, what's the business model of Goop? Because it's so fascinating the way it just starts with this little newsletter, then they have a store in Soho. And then what you're kind of saying, this content drives the commerce aspect, which is they're launching products, which maybe that's their moneymaker. Um, I'm kind of curious of like, what's the overarching vision that ties this all together? Is it just the one kind of tastemaker, Gwyneth Paltrow, who then, you know, the thing she likes happens to turn into this crazy multi-billion dollar brand. Like it's almost hard to wrap your head around, but that it almost feels like she's the tastemaker of this movement, which kind of has all these ancillary businesses and product
1: ideas. Yeah. The way we think about it, uh, I mean, you hear this word a lot, especially around consumer is a lifestyle brand. And so I think if you were to put a word on the business model and how the company is structured, it's a content driven commerce company. And that content is about a specific lifestyle. Now, not everyone is going to ascribe to this lifestyle, right? But if you, and you don't have to completely like, you're not hundred percent bought into it. But there are bits and pieces you may pull. So for example, I don't wear a lot of the fashion that Google recommend, but there are certain recipes that I find interesting, right? And I'll maybe make those in my kitchen. So it, appe- it appeals to me in that way. So the lifestyle component, there's all these different, you have kitchen, you have fashion, you have health and wellness, mental health, um, all these different components that make up a healthy lifestyle or someone's, you know, lifestyle in, in the Goop's context, it's largely shaped around Gwyneth. Um, that is, you know, from the earliest days, that was Goop's brand. Um, and so if you think about a lifestyle company, you know, in, in this kind of model, that's what Goop is, for, uh, you know, in, in our minds. You can see this, though, in a bunch of other different categories. A good example kind of a of the of similar model, but a much different market is 100 Thieves. That is a lifestyle company for the gaming category. When we talk about different ways that you can ultimately monetize this, you have a lifestyle brand, which the content is supporting and, and which ultimately furthering. But there are a lot of things you can do when you have that really powerful content engine. You can do in-person experiences. You mentioned the Goop store you walk around. And one of the things about Goop, like the price per, the revenue per square foot, incredibly strong numbers because of how powerful the content is and how like targeted the community is. Um, So you have your in-person experiences, you have your digital experiences. You know, we aren't, today we aren't really offering a digital content subscription model. All the content is largely free, Um, but you can imagine like, just with like, you know, you look at what Substack is empowering creators to do. You look at uh, Patreon as another example. Like there are, there's a lot of great precedent for building subscription-based digital content companies. And if you have a powerful brand, a powerful lifestyle company like Goop or like 100 Thieves, you can imagine building a digital subscription component to that as well. Um, You know, we're investing in, in really high production value content with the Netflix special as another example. And then the third piece, which is, you know, the biggest uh, piece of Goop's business today is the commerce piece. And that's largely e-commerce, um, you know, driving sales uh, through the website and other channels. Um, but that's kind of the third leg of the of the business model.
0: I'm really fascinated you because you mentioned 100 Thieves and they're like this gaming kind of merch store, like but that's like a video game brand. Could you give us like a rundown of like 100 Thieves and Goop or, and, like, or a couple other in this category that you think are like, sort of new business model brands because i'm so so fascinated by you know who's kind of leading in, in this space that we should be watching
1: yeah well hundred thieves and goop i think are two great examples um really what it comes down to like you anyone can really build you can build a business like the like hundred thieves or like goop if you have a powerful brand i think what people are realizing across media we're increasingly in venture capital especially in the consumer for consumer venture capitalists is brand really matters. I mean, even at the VC level, like you've got VCs that are very aggressive about marketing their brand and what their fund stands for and, um, you know, why entrepreneurs should work with them. Um, And so brand has never been um, more powerful than it is today. And if you think about a company like Goop or like 100 Thieves, um, you know, they're all built around um, this notion of a consistent unified brand. And what's happening right now is like, to bring it back to influencers, like Gwyneth was one person that led to company around her, which is Goop. You look at um, TikTok as an example. It's never been easier to go from no followers to hundreds of thousands of followers or audience members overnight. I have a good friend who, he literally posted a TikTok videos, you know, maybe 10 seconds, and he was, he was analyzing baseball mechanics for pitchers. He had, it was just never posted a video before. Overnight, he got 200,000 views on his TikTok for that one video. Like that is unheard of before, and so if you if you build a consistent brand and you leverage these tools um, like TikTok for distribution, you can build. Um, you know, if you have a consistent narrative, you can build an audience of engaged community, and all of a sudden that community turns into a business. If you think about it, um, you know, from that lens, and, and you're consistent with your content and your messaging. So, but the ease with which you can start things, and this is actually something we're focused on at NEA, um, you know, is. Is there's a huge opportunity here. Uh, the economics make sense um, and, uh, and the potential revenue side, the, the audience sizes are really, really huge.
0: Yeah, and I wonder what you think about the thesis of uh, like, I think it's pointless to invest in advertising, but it's everything to invest in content. And so, like, there's why would you invest in the distribution to get your ad to someone when the distribution on all these channels is free? Like, if you have a good, amazing piece of content about your brand, people will come to you and find it. And so that's why I think it's totally lagging behind, is no company should be paying for advertising or content distribution, which is advertising. They should pay for content creation. And that's why I think, and I see the budgets making a massive shift there, which is why I'm so bullish on this space, because... Oh, that's going to go into all the virtual influencers. They're not paying for marketing, for Cheetos advertising. They're paying to digitize the flaming Hot Cheetos guy and have him start a Twitter account and start putting Instagram videos out. And so I think this is totally exciting in the future uh, of where everything's headed. And so I'm curious of what you kind of think about that and how you see like these big brands like that Cheeto example kind of making those moves too.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, well, there's we're seeing a tremendous amount of collaboration between big brands big companies that want to reach audiences, and then influencers who have their own brand, their own audience, and there's a lot of cross-pollination happening. You know, we invested um, in a company, uh, I haven't mentioned this before, so uh, we we launched a fund actually, we believe in this so much at NEA that we partnered with uh, a firm in in LA, one of the biggest talent agencies in the world, CAA, um, the Creative Artist Agency, uh, on a joint venture, which we are calling Connect Ventures. Uh, and the thesis of that fund is really to invest what we say the intersection of culture and commerce. One of our first investments is a company called Blacktag, two entrepreneurs who have spent early part of their career working with uh, a lot of really large brands on specific brand campaigns and media campaigns, so on and so forth. And um, and the thesis behind Blacktag is to create a platform with an emphasis on black content creators working in collaborations you know, with large brands um, and, you know, different partnerships around content creation to create a channel to distribute this, this content to audience members. And then ultimately a core thesis, uh, a core part of the thesis behind Black Tag is, is to ensure the economics of that content. That's all like all the revenue that being driven by that content is, uh, is shared back to the, you know, to the creators themselves, which is a a big part of uh, the differentiation of this company. But you talk about you know, just the interest since we launched the, they they did a uh, the announcement of the, of the fundraise a few weeks ago. and literally it was the highest trafficked uh, announcement that we've ever seen at NEA uh, and the amount of brand outreach to this company. and it's literally a two-person team today. they've raised a couple you know million dollars. But the product is very, very early, but the desire for brands to work with this type of thesis has never been stronger. Uh, So we're really excited to invest behind not only black type, but many other companies to come. I think it's a matter of authenticity. You can run a huge ad campaign, um, but to the end consumer, consumers are smart and they realize, Hey, this doesn't really feel like it's authentic, but if you have kind of that natural fit between a brand, a company that's trying to reach an audience and an influencer who has an engaged and genuine relationship with their community and with their fans, that's where you kind of realize that, that, lift beyond just a traditional advertisement. It feels much more natural, much more genuine, and it speaks to the audience.
0: You mentioned authenticity, and that's one thing that I think is really, like basically the biggest differentiator for all of this. And one thing that I was following who was interesting was Lil Michaela, who was like the first coolest Instagram influencer I made that was virtual, and she was like this avatar. You didn't know if it was a person behind her. It ended up being like this kind of startup company uh, that actually raised a bunch of VC money, but she had like a million followers, and was really really popular and booming and then just totally fizzled started putting out music videos that weren't that good and I thought it was so interesting cuz I thought she had so much potential and then the second like it's she tried to monetize and try to do something cool it totally flopped because of no authenticity. So I thought that was a really interesting moment for this whole like space and I'm curious if you were following that and had any like thoughts on the Lil Michaela kind of case study.
1: Yeah, um, we've been following it from the very beginning. Um, and we're fascinated by the potential um you know if you think about take a step back and think about influencers before the advent of the digital like lil michaela style influencer we're people right we age we're not perfect we're going to make mistakes you might say something that we don't you know necessarily agree with and and all of a sudden that's in the press in the news and all picking up a bunch of articles right so you may be like a massive celebrity, and you know you, there's still risks involved with your personal brand, things that you may uh, may happen to you, um, so on and so forth. The potential of a digital, like truly digital influencer like a little Michaela is that you could control hundred percent of the narrative. You like you control the appearance, you control what that influencer, what values they stand for, what um, what things they get behind. What messages they share with their audience, and uh, and that's really intriguing. And not only that, but like you're never going to age. You can literally exist in, in perpetuity. Um, so the thinking about that in the context of kind of you know we've we've had celebrities, we've, we've had influencers, really throughout the history of of human history, um, but we've never had you know this uh, the option to control something hundred percent like 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 a uh, Lil Michaela style influencer. And so it's the it's still the early days. I think we're we're understanding. People are understanding and learning about how to. I mean, you mentioned kind of the rise, and then there was a there was a, a bit of a fall off um, and some some volatility and kind of the more recent history around Lil and Michaela. But um, I think with any kind of new innovation, and this is definitely an innovation when it comes to um, influencers, uh, you know, there's going to be a learning curve. Um, and so we're we're following it closely. If you just look at Lil and Michaela, like that profile itself there were a lot of brands bringing it back to, you know, brands who work with influencers that had some very interesting collaborations with her. You know, I think that speaks again, the power of, uh, of an influencer, um, you know, X brand collaboration and, um, you know, reaching a, an audience that, um, has self-identified with that influencer. So, you know, what matters to them, you know, um, you know, kind of how to message a specific product before, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't have the creative tools to make visually appealing content like Lil Michaela is today. And the content is beautiful. Like if you look at her Instagram posts and you maybe just take a, a glancing look, you might not realize it's, it's, you know, created digitally. Like the, the the ability for us to create really engaging lifelike content has never been better. And the tools today that we have kind of crossed that uncanny Valley almost where it feels natural. It feels like it, you know, it's, it's someone you might cross on the street. Um, so yeah, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that have been building to kind of where we are today. And I think it's the early days of, uh, this digital kind of synthetic influencer.
0: Yeah. One really interesting case that I was following was Grimes, um, because she kind of like, I had this weird sort of uh, statement a while ago where she didn't want to keep touring. Um, I think it was cause maybe she was having a baby or something, but wanted to like have this sort of brand that was her, like a digital avatar that could do concerts. That was yep. her, that was her artist. I don't know. I, I fully, um, it's like two next level for me to understand. It was kind of this idea that she had her own digital avatar that wasn't exactly herself, that wasn't tied to her body, but was still influenced by her. And to me, that's the perfect hybrid of where I was like, that's going to crack the code. Like, Lil Michaela ha- doesn't have that authenticity, but if it's Lil Michaela with like Grimes, you know, this real person behind it, kind of create, and, you know, Grimes is that creative visionary. To me, that's kind of like like it's 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 like oh, we're just creating a virtual influencer. It's like way more than that. To me, this is as much art as like doing a painting would be to create the virtual influencer. It's just we don't appreciate it like that. But um, so I'm curious if you thought about that case study because when I heard Grimes doing that, I was like, this is what I could see the future of artists doing. And then you die, and you still have this kind of you know thing that can do performances and people can you know interact with in some way.
1: Yeah, it's great that you bring that up because we've actually spent the last maybe six months um you know obviously with everything with covid live events and music the music category specifically has been hit very hard concerts have been shut down performers aren't able to perform in person um and so i mentioned our connect ventures um uh you know fund that we've that we started with caa music is a big part of caa's business and they have a number of um you know a big part of their roster of talent is in the category we've been spending you know a good part of the last five months five to six months thinking about what are ways in which we can bring the the power and the joy of live events, especially music related events, to audiences that are craving it today, and uh, uh, you know allow artists and 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 creators to connect with their fans. And so there's been a huge amount of innovation just in the last you know half a year around virtual event platforms. You look at what Hopin is doing for um, like big corporate events, right? Um, that that's that's one category. Uh, there's a, a company called Maestro, which, um, you know, makes it a, a really powerful technology solution, which a number of artists and musicians have been have been using to connect, connect with their fans. Melissa um, Etheridge is a good example. She's She's been doing a concert a day powered by Maestro, where she's, you know, playing in her garage and um, streaming it to, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans um, every day. And there are as you mentioned kind of the digital side of things there's another company i'm blanking on the name but they basically you you're recording a, in a green room and the what's on display in front of everybody is a virtual it's, it's an avatar right it, and so you're it, it moves along with your body but it isn't your um your, your person on the screen it's your avatar there have been some really big artists that have uh, have demoed the, the the product and have done actually a few events with their uh, you know, for their for their fans uh, with this. Um, and it, I think it's going to be something that we're going to see a lot more of, not so much to replace live events, hopefully in a post-COVID world, but to augment them. If you think about, like, if you think about doing a concert, for example, in LA, you know, it, if I live in the UK, I can't attend that concert in person, right? But so all the fans in LA can go to it. But for the fans around the world that might want to share in that experience, you don't have the ability to do that today unless you're streaming on YouTube or something like that. Um, So there's an opportunity to, you know, leverage these, what's being, the tech being built today for this COVID specific use case to add and increase the market opportunity for around live events and music specifically is a good example. Um, So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of innovation out of necessity today, but um, could be really interesting new use cases that we don't anticipate. Um, And the digital uh, kind of to tie it all back, the digital avatar, like that is a really, that is a, um, a core part a lot of these uh, these different um platforms that are being built. you know another interesting company uh, around the kind of the digital avatar space is genies, which we're actually investors in um you know kind of similar to bitmoji back in the in the day creates just that you know digital avatar for for people and which will you know the amount of the amount of inbound demand for that company for people saying, Hey, I want to have my genies has been huge uh, and you kind of see the genies popping up all over the place. a lot of them are zoom <laughs> like pictures if they don't have the camera on but uh but yeah there's there's a lot of my friend is
0: telling me about genies and was so hyped about it so it's funny you mentioned that and he was like bro you got to check this out so uh, yeah um the other thing that you you came to mind was the travis scott Fortnite concert where like travis scott did a concert in Fortnite that like a hundred i think this was like a while ago but like a hundred million people went or something insane and I was like, that is so cool because what like this virtual, you being in UK and trying to go to LA concert, to me, it's like live streaming on like a laptop is such a crappy, not the true final form of this. It's like VR, I'm in this room where everyone else is like an av- like, I, I don't even have to be me. I could be an avatar of my, you know, whatever. And then I'm in a concert. Like, I, I don't know. That's kind of how like the future of music is almost like these dance clubs, where everyone's dancing by themselves in their own home. Like, but I don't know. It's I see so much example. potential I mean,
1: there. Like Fortnite, for, first of all, talk about the cultural power of, and, and tie it again, back to brand power, like the brand of Fortnite and how much it's infused in our, into pop culture with all the different dances and, you know, soundtracks and all this, all this stuff. Like it, it is a huge part of our culture today. And I think if you look at like the opportunity, Travis Scott's team is fantastic. Probably one of the best in the business about thinking about these new innovative ways to get, you know, that content, his brand out to his fans and his, his audience. Like, what an amazing event, right? And, you know, that event, could you picture that 10 years ago? Absolutely not. But now, like, you've got this massive online, um, you know, multiplayer game that's virtual and, and you've got, you know, people, not just music, right? You've got, you know, major NBA players that are, you know, after the game, they're streaming themselves, you know, playing Fortnite with their friends or whatever it is. And they're connecting with their fans, you know, through Twitch and Discord and and whatever it might be like culturally, like there is a huge infusion happening um, not just around Fortnite, but with, you know, these large digital communities, these digital platforms Uh, and the, and the concert you mentioned is just a huge example of the potential of what can happen.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of older kind of like the wall street financial. Uh, part of the world is missing that the culture is happening on Fortnite. Like, that's what I almost realized. Like, that Travis Scott Fortnite thing, like, that was the coolest concert to go to, even though it was digital, or almost like, or it seems like we're pushing in that direction. And I don't know, it's to me, it's so interesting to see that like gaming has really become the pioneer of pushing us almost to hang out in the virtual worlds, which to me is just a competition of Facebook and Instagram in some ways. Um, and so I'm curious how, how like, gaming ties into all this. Like, I'm actually an investor in this company called uh, Rainbow Wallet, which is, like, an Ethereum. I call it, like, Coinbase for weird things. But my favorite thing about it is, uh, like, cool little tokens built in the Ethereum blockchain. I have this vision of, like, people trading limited-edition Fortnite skins. And like digital tokenized assets that could be, you know, limited edition that are for like your virtual digital character. And so when I see how this is evolving, and that's like perfect, you know, Fortnite has all these limited edition skins that maybe you can trade. So I see so much like culture and 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 the future kind of happening there. And it's so weird to think that digital assets would have value, that virtual influencers would be worth millions of dollars. But it seems like that's already here. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, yeah, I, I don't know I if that right made, a lot made of sense.
1: I might talk too long, so interrupt me. No, go for it. Uh, we have a, we have a, a phrase that we've said at NEA for um, ever since I've been there. We say gaming is the next iteration of social. Uh, you kind of think about the evolution of different social platforms as they as they come and gone. Um, gaming, if you if you talk to you know people and out you know teenager teenagers and uh, you know the, the the coming generations, and you ask them what they do when they come home from school. They're firing up a Discord server. They're logging into Fortnite, and they're playing with their friends and interacting and communicating with them on these digital channels. And that's where, like, when I came home from school, you know, I would log into Facebook and you know say hi to friends that way or chat you know with people that way. Now it's Discord. Now it's Fortnite. Now it's you know these these digital gaming channels. And so we really believe we have a you know strong thesis that 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 gaming is really that it is uh, a social, um, you know. Um, channel today and it will only get bigger and, and grow from here you talked about um digital collectibles and if you think about like the sports uh collectible market you know that's tens of billions of dollars of value traded every year um huge huge market and you know the the thing about that that same opportunity is going to happen in gaming but the beautiful thing is talk about the margin here right it, it costs you virtually nothing to make a new skin to make you know, a new collectible, um, you know, digital collectible for for a game, because it's all digital, right? There's no cost of goods. There's no physical cost of goods. So your margins now, in you know, with what can become a, a multi-billion dollar market, you've got virtually, um, you know, 100% gross margins, which is unheard of, right? So a huge opportunity um, around kind of that specific uh, use case that which you hit on that we're really focused on and companies that are being built here uh, to do that. One of, the, one of the use cases we believe blockchain is probably the best suited for, um, you know, tracking digital ownership across for, for a digital good. Um, so we're excited about that. And then I think, again, to tie it back to influencers, especially, and, and, and connect it to gaming, look at something, someone like Ninja, who almost two years ago, no one really knew who he was, right? And now, I, I don't remember exactly which publication it was, but they put out the, these stats and he is the most globally recognized athlete If you consider and we consider, you know, gamers way!
0: that's the most globally
1: recognized athlete, more so than Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi, like that is insane to think about. Right. And it happened in less than two years. That's the power of gaming. That's the opportunity that we see. Um, You know, the market has been massive for a long time, but the impact on culture has never been greater. And uh, and so we're we're really really excited. We've we've invested in a few companies. Um, one called Versus, which is bringing esports and 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 gaming to high schools, colleges, and building kind of the uh, democratizing you know competitive gaming for 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 everyone who's not a professional. Um, so really exciting company out of LA. Amazing founder. Um, we were fortunate to be Series A investors in that company, and really excited about what what they can do and build. Uh, and then we also backed a company called Gen G, uh, which is a professional esports team. Um, we are very bullish on the gaming category. How do you
0: back an esports team? Like, wh- wh- like, what's the thought? Did you like get the gamer in a room and like give him an Xbox challenge and like see how good he did? Or
1: <laughs> no. So that we uh, we we backed. The, uh, there's a parent company that owns um, you know across a bunch of different titles, League of Legends um probably the the biggest um title today, but there's a there's a bunch that they'll have different teams that compete in. But effectively, you know, the 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 parent company owns franchises across all these different gaming titles and then uh we'll field a team in each one each each of them. And the investment that we made goes to support the training facility and um you know all the it's like owning it's it's exactly the same as owning a professional sports team in Major League Baseball or the NBA or the NFL where you're supporting all the operations and then all the revenue that comes you know, league revenue that comes into the to an NFL franchise. It's the same for gaming, right? You've got advertising revenue coming in, you have merchandise sales coming in, you have um, prize pools from winning, you know, various tournaments and challenges. Um, so yeah, we we we're very
0: bullish. I was uh, arguing with my dad the other day being like, uh, we're watching football and I'm like, I don't even like football anymore. Like I was a diehard Seahawks fan and I'm watching the game and I'm like, dude, like it's built for cable. Like it's 50 minutes of gameplay in three hours. There's constantly an ad, they're interrupting, the flow's super low. Like these announcers are like so bored and yawning. I don't know if it was because of COVID. I was like, can I just uh, switch a button and just switch to like some crazy YouTuber kid to announce yeah. the game? Like, what are we doing here? Like. It was just such a bad, archaic, legacy media uh, entertainment product when I thought thought about sports. And so I was so and I don't even think people realize how dead sports are in the water. When it, the more and more I thought about it, it's like baseball is not getting more fun to watch, football is not innovating, you know. But every single year, the graphics and the competition and the money and the and the production value and the easeability to communicate with your friends and watch that sports content get better. It's almost like internal combustion engine flat EVs getting better, like that inflection point. To me, it's the same, like normal sports, just like chilling, eSports, just crushing it and getting way uh, better. And like you said, that Ninja stat feels like I'm already like, oh, you know, eSports is going to win. It sounds like that moment already happened with Ninja. Um, but And I'm kind of curious, like switching gears to this influencer, kind of sports are dead. But the only cool thing happening in sports right now is Jake Paul. Uh, boxing. And so I think this is hilarious and just fascinating that the Jake and Logan Paul have gone into boxing and they're doing pay-per-view boxing content. They're probably making way more than on YouTube with it, like that same thing like you're a creator, how to use these platforms once you get your brand to monetize this weird like one-off live event. I think that's a business that Zoom should get into is is helping people make do that really easily. But I'm curious if you've looked into the kind of Jake Paul uh boxing world and that, the business model behind that as well.
1: Um I I'll be honest, I haven't actually I don't
0: know much <laughs> about it. No, it's 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 cool. It's fascinating. I've just been wa- I just can't believe that
1: I saw some of the clips. Yeah, like, I'm
0: I'm like, who am I gonna box? I'm like waiting to call out like David Einhorn, like on some of these Tesla shorts, yeah. but I feel like it wouldn't be yeah. fair. But I don't know.
1: I mean I think I think if I were to say if I were to say I don't know the specific like I, I don't follow Jake Paul like religiously and so I don't I don't know exactly what happened there. But if you just take a step back and think about how how to garner views today as a content creator. Like increasingly what we're seeing is more and more extreme content is like appealing to um to specific audiences. And so what like we've kind of as we've looked at this landscape, if you think if you think like 10, 15 years ago, because you didn't have as powerful of distribution as we have today, like you couldn't open up your phone and it's like you know have all your communities organized and all your different apps and like pull up a YouTube video or pull up an Instagram page. Like that volume of content didn't exist before. And so what you had was we had very vanilla communities, right? You had much larger communities of people and, and the, and what they were ultimately organizing around were much more vanilla concepts, much more vanilla content. Today, like communities are becoming much more polarized they're becoming much tighter becoming a little bit smaller the size of the of the audience is coming down for like these highly targeted communities but they're much more targeted and so i think like that might be one thing that that, that you kind of see with you know jake pauls an example like these very very extreme like in your face like out there uh, units of content and they maybe they don't appeal to everybody but what it, what it is allowing is like the coalescing of very tight communities around very tight subjects and honestly a great example of this is what's happening in our political world right you've got kind of the the fracturing of what used to be a two-party system um and you know more and more extreme policies on both sides are kind of creating these different factions and, and fissures and so uh that's an example i think in in, in politics we're definitely seeing it in, in content um
0: yeah the internet's turning into yeah. a weird place giving these niches like a voice um, and I guess the other thing I was I, I should have asked, asked my Jake Paul question better was he has this comment of like I'm gonna be the first social media billionaire. which to me, I'm like, dude, you're gonna be like a hundred billionaire. The first real social media probably won't be Jake Paul, but like the the ability for one person to be that, brand that's as big as comcast NBC, abc or like i don't know if maybe youtube twitter yeah. and instagram or the NBC. series but i thought that was a powerful when i heard him say that i was like man i'm so pumped i'm not working for like goldman and i'm on i'm on the independent creator side yeah. of the financial world because that's where the chips are going to fall and i feel like he's doing that for the media world where jerry seinfeld had the number one show and made 50 million and you know even inflation adjusted jake paul's gonna make 50x that with the number one show even though it's more fragmented and not even as much of the cultural zeitgeist is tuning into him as was seinfeld in that moment but yet he's able to leech 10 times more value than jerry seinfeld did if that's kind of you know and i to me this is fascinating and as a as like me personally in that space i'm like okay i'm not going to do a boxing match but i'm going to do a set up my VC syndicate group to start writing startup checks with me and that's how that's going to be my way that i hit a billion with my social media so It's all. I I love the creativity of it when you're an entrepreneur, and that's why. As much as I hate, like Jake Paul, I don't hate Jake Paul. Actually, like his content's crazy. Like he's out there. Like I don't. I'm not a fan. I don't like support him really. But like, I really respect him as a business guy. And I'm like, you are a visionary in becoming that social media billionaire and setting yourself up for that and making the right moves and doing the content. Like, hate on him all you want. The dude is incredibly successful and way bigger than me. And and kind of like is doing something really right that I think people are going to be really smart to kind of copy and follow.
1: Well, I think what you bring up a good point is that, you know, it used to be, you would, you would, you would, um, you know, you, you would be an artist, you'd be a creator and that was all you did. That's all you were known for. But, and this is, a, this has been an emerging trend over the last, you know, handful of years. It's definitely here to stay and like a big part of the VC landscape, at least is, you know, think about people, um, Uh, like influencers, creators, um, celebrities, they're becoming investors, they're becoming business people, right? Not just artists in their specific categories, their specific channels their lanes. Like a good example of this, I think it was a couple of days ago, uh, Step announced a fundraising and Charlie D'Amelio was like one of the first names listed, right? Like she's investing in this app uh, or not, it's not an app, but in this company. Um, and we're seeing this happen, like NBA athletes, right. That, that are investing in companies um, that are starting like their own funds and, and to invest in, in, uh, in companies and um, you know, different opportunities. It's a, uh, again, it's, it's leveraging a personal brand to unlock all these other like monetization avenues. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, you know, I think you have that platform take full advantage of it and take ownership of like what you're creating, what you've built for yourself. Uh, And I agree, like I think maybe it's not Jake Paul, but I think we're absolutely gonna see a lot of value created.
0: And I'm curious kind of like to to wrap it up, one thing that I say to all my friends is like, you should, everyone should start a YouTube channel. Like I've been kind of like joking about that since I started mine, but I really do feel like everyone, if you want, is this crazy business opportunity to find your niche, to kind of be yourself and to use, like we're talking about all of these tools. Maybe you won't be a billionaire, but maybe you'll make a hundred grand a year and that's way better than the current job you have. And so I'm kind of curious of tying it back, maybe not in the crazy influencer way. And maybe this is like from the VC world, there's, you know, what do I think comes to mind here? Patreon because they're the platform that enables that long tail of micro creators. And so I think the influencer economy, in some ways it gets a bad rap because like influencer, it feels like you're getting for clout. It's kind of like this clickbait BS thing, but really Influencer just to me means more authentic thought leaders than ever are emerging in a new platforms and they're winning. So you this is a huge opportunity for anyone in any category in any niche that they're passionate about to radically use this. Like to me, trillions of dollars of companies, of market cap, of platforms that you are all for free, that you could put your content on. So I that's kind of my pitch to everyone. At the end of the day, is like and then in five years, you'll have Genies will be out of beta. You can have your own digital you that'll be getting higher margins. Like. Uh, you know, this kind of like, we're just yep. so early in the monetization of, of how this is spreading.
1: Well, I love that you brought up Patreon, but we're uh, thrilled to be partners with Jack and and team there. Um, we think, I, I mean, everything you just said, we, we, we agree with um, the thesis. If you think about, especially with, you know, think about the tailwinds of COVID and how much time people have on their hands now. And, you know, back to 2008, 2009, the last kind of major crisis we had in the financial markets. And you look at that time period really as the birth of uber and Airbnb, two massive technology companies today, right and they were built around this opportunity of people looking for you have this asset, multiple assets a time and a car, or it's time and a spare room in my house, right and you have this need with you know when the financial crisis hits, people have more time on their hands, they have a need for for additional income and you and these companies created opportunities for people to monetize you know, their time and an asset in ways that didn't exist before. The same thing is happening now, unfortunately, with COVID, right? A lot of people have been impacted by it. But what you think about a silver lining, it creates an opportunity for people to explore a passion that maybe they didn't have the time to do before, right? And companies like Patreon, channels like YouTube, these these these, these um, methods of distribution for content and monetization, you can build a community of people now around a followership And it, maybe it's not, as you put, as you put out, maybe it's not hundreds of thousands of people, but maybe it's an audience of 15 or 20, right. That are really passionate about what you're doing and they're going to support you. Like I, I have a few, uh, uh, you know, on Patreon, a few uh, people that I support. One of them is like maybe an audience of 15 people. We just buy sheets of music, piano sheet music from this one person. Right. And it's not a huge business, but it's amazing content. And, um, you know, I really like it. And so I want to support that content. And Patreon enables that type of, you know, kind of peer to peer almost um, uh, value for value, which is which I think is so powerful. And I think, you know, if if it's just one person who can follow a passion now that that, they weren't able to do before, but now it's authentic, and they have time to do it. And they have these tools that allow them to capture value for the value they're creating. um, It's a huge opportunity. And we're thrilled to be partners with companies like Patreon to go and enable this for people.
0: Dude, I, and you said, so I can't let it go, the Patreon. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of Jack. We had him on uh, HyperChange, like honored to be able to talk to him. And I feel like what you said, like you paid a couple bucks a month and you supported that piano, you know, whatever thing, like that is such powerful direct support. Like I have a Patreon and that's the whole reason I've been able to do everything with HyperChange. Like it makes it all possible. It makes it the reason why I can do the show for free and people who can't pay are allowed to watch it because some people want to pay just because they're nice. And like, they are like, yeah, I could do support this, 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 but like that five bucks for Galley goes such a long way. You know what I mean? Like that 10 bucks for your piano guy, like that, like that's all he needed to buy sheet music. And like, to me, it was so frustrating that that wasn't unlocked before, but that's why me meet Patron is like a hundred billion or trillion dollar company. If they can just execute on this thesis of you know allowing artists and creators to monetize their work and just be that toll road of the platform that allows them to because it's I don't know and it makes me really excited because that's one thing I'm passionate about is like not enough art not enough exciting stuff we're not paying artists enough and that's why our cities are ugly there's parking lots everywhere architecture is not dope people are all wearing the same clothes like we just have a huge knob to crank in terms of creativity art and culture and Patreon is is to me like pushing that forward in such a huge way. And like personally, obviously really passionate about it, but that's why I'm, I'm a huge fan. That's I think going to be a home run for you, your team.
1: <laughs> well, when we heard, uh, I mean, the thing, I think back to when Jack pitched our, came in and, and presented to our partnership. And uh, the thing that jumped off the page for me more than anything was just his natural, authentic, like just passion for this. Like it, The company was built because he had, he lived this problem, right? He made this music video and he wanted to share it with people and he had like, he spent a ton of money cause he wanted it to be beautiful. And like it mattered to him and his band and there was no way to really monetize it. Right? So he solved, and th- this is what we absolutely love at NEA. It's why I love venture capital, people solving problems that they have themselves. And those problems, people realize are, are are people are facing them like beyond just themselves. And that becomes a huge company, right? Where it solves problems that people didn't even exist knew, knew, know they had. What a great example of that, like with Patreon. And now, you know, you're able to take advantage of it and hundreds of thousands of other people as well with with their own personal businesses and, and projects. It's just amazing, right? And that's, I think, the, the power of community. Um, Patreon is a great example of that.
0: Dude, such a great place to end it. Well, um, do you have any final predictions that you want to leave us with, Luke? Or, or maybe we'll just catch up next time in the influencer economy, so a little Michaela's doing,
1: but... Yeah. Well, you mentioned Jake Paul being the first, uh, what'd you say? Billion? Was that the social, uh, Like did?
0: social media billionaire. I think he's thrown that yeah. out. Yeah.
1: I'm going to say Charlie D'Amelio is going to be the first one. Wow. Okay.
0: Honestly, I'm, I'm not going to hate on that. Okay. Yeah. She's killing to, it. She was the might fastest to a 100 podcast million, in like
1: 10 years. I so. know if that's true or not. It might take some time, but Dude, uh, at this rate, like,
0: like 2022, probably like, yeah. you know, uh, dude, uh, thank you so much for joining the show, taking the time. We really appreciate it. I'll put your info, NEA and uh, your personal Twitter down below so people can check out uh, your stuff and follow you more, but really appreciate the time. Have an awesome day.
1: Awesome. Thanks, man. Peace.